You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. guess what? I've got a new book coming out. It's called The Goddess Discovered, Exploring the Divine Feminine Around the World. And it is coming out on December 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. This book has over 500 deities in it. Part one of the book will take you into the ancient world where you will learn about ancient religions that you may have practiced during your past lives and you'll explore goddesses from the ancient Celts, the Norse, the Egyptians, the Greeks and Romans, and more. And then in part two, we will explore living religions, current modern religions, and the deities worshipped by people during our own modern times. In part three, you'll have a chance to take some past life regressions and even genealogical regressions to connect with the places where your ancestors may have worshipped these deities in the past. Pre-order The Goddess Discovered and you'll receive a free gift, a guided journey from me through my healing arts platform. I hope that this one will be a book that you will have on your shelf for years to come. And I cannot thank you enough for your support of this book. I'll have lots of events coming up. But meanwhile, you can pre-order The Goddess Discovered. And I thank you so much for your support. Namaste. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey, my dear one, I hope you're doing great. So I am really excited for you to meet my friend, Dr. Nick Mather. He is a PhD. Um, he studies philosophy and religion, and we are getting into a super fascinating discussion about deities, about world religions that I think you're really going to enjoy. Of course, all of this is leading up to the release of my book, The Goddess Discovered, which is coming out in December. And so I've tried to connect with some real thinkers and intellectuals to discuss world religion. I really believe that we have a chance when we discover and discuss world religions to come to peace 
and understanding about all of the fabulous people who live around the world. And so I really loved having this conversation with Nick. He's got a great uh, podcast I've been a guest on. So the links are below. I definitely recommend everything that he's doing. He's wonderful. And so let's settle in and check out my interview with my friend, Dr. Nick Mather. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Kerr. Guess what? We've got an exciting guest today. My friend Nick is here. I've got to read you his bio. So give me a moment while I pull this up. Nick is the host of the Rebel Spirit Radio podcast. He actually teaches philosophy and religious studies at a number of California community colleges. He has an MA in religious studies from the University of Denver and a PhD in philosophy and religion from the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness Program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. I love it. Um, his academic research focuses on eco-spirituality, environmental ethics, the history of religions, and comparative religion and mysticism. And he's the host of the Rebel Spirit Radio, which I was fortunate enough to be a guest on, and I loved it. He engages in conversations with writers. Hello artists, educators, spiritual leaders, and he explores all kinds of topics about spirituality, consciousness, and esoteric things, humanity's sacred relationship to the living earth. And so um, Nick and I met on his fabulous podcast, and we realized we really have a lot in common the way we view the world. Um, I was talking about ancient lands and other worlds. And in that book, I did my best, Nick, to write little bits of history in each chapter. So I thought it would be fun to meet an actual historian, hello, um, and have a real conversation about some of your interests. I just think your background is so fascinating. I wanted to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. And I wanted to ask you first, like, how did you get into studying religions and, and what fascinates you as much as I am also fascinated by those same topics? And welcome. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm uh, have been very much looking forward to this. I really enjoyed our conversation where you, when you were a guest on Rebel Spirit Radio. So I'm um, looking forward to uh, today. Um, how did I get interested in all of this? Um, That's a long I, I, story. I, it is, it is. Um, I, I think there's always been a little bit of an interest, um, even going back to being a, a really small child. Um, my aunt tells me that um, I was always concerned whether God could see me or not. Um, and uh, asking and all sorts of things like in, in the bathroom, can God see me now? Um, I think that one of the things that lit an interest, especially in the historical aspect, was the town that I grew up in was very kind of conservative and very Christian. And I didn't see a lot of happy people. And I saw a lot of racism and I saw a lot of meanness. And I don't want to suggest by any stretch of the imagination that anyone who's Christian falls into that category it just happened to be in the town that I'm in or that I was okay. in, that I saw a lot of that. And I knew that Christianity wasn't for me, but I wanted to understand it because our culture is so, it's a 
Christian culture, you know, and, and I wanted to understand it and I wanted to explore it. So I think that was one of the driving forces was I wanted to know how it came about, you know, what was really going on. Um, and so I would say that is part of it. Um, my aunt, again, introduced me to the works of Joseph Campbell uh, when I was a late teenager. Uh, and uh, that and the writings of Carl Jung uh, really started to open my mind. Uh, when I was uh, the first time around that I was at a community college, I took a myth class uh, because of that. And it was a horrible, horrible class. Uh, the professor just sucked all the meaning and the meat and the life force out of the myths. Um, I'm like, this isn't what I want. I ended up, uh, I was a journalist for a short while, um, but what I was doing was reading a lot of Jung and Campbell, and I started reading some of the uh, world's classical uh, religious texts, you know, like the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and others. And I eventually realized I didn't want to be a journalist anymore. So I uh, quit my job. I sold everything I owned and I left the country. Uh, I did a bike trek through Italy and France. And I had two books with me. I had Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I had uh, Carlos Castaneda's uh, Journey to Ixlon. And as I was riding down these roads, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but I had uh, a mantra and I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I made it or I picked it up from somewhere, but it was have faith and the rest will follow. So as I'm riding my bike down all these roads, that's what I kept doing. Have faith and the rest will follow. So I ended up um, when the money ran out, I ended up going back to Colorado uh, and uh, crashed on a friend's floor in Denver and uh, uh, started working and uh, eventually got myself back into college. Um, and that's when I went to my undergraduate degree uh, was from Metro uh, State University in Denver. Uh, at the time, it was Metropolitan State College. Uh, and that's where I did philosophy. But um, I saw a listing for a class and it was um, myth and symbol. And I thought, OK, I'm going to try it again. We'll see. We'll see. And it was everything I was looking for. The first half of the course was all Carl Jung. And then the second half of the course was applying Jungian theory to the uh, 12 uh, Olympian deities, uh, the Greek uh, uh, mythical tradition. So I ended up the next semester, I took another class with the same professor. And uh, that I think was differing concepts of God. And that's where we started getting into the history and the history of the uh, Abrahamic traditions uh, again. So I have often said um, that I had this dream at the time and I woke up from this dream and the way I always describe it is it felt like I had been whacked upside the head by a two by four uh, <laughs> because I was always one of those people where I never knew exactly what it was I wanted to do. I could always tell you what I didn't want to do. But after I woke up from that dream, I'm like, this is what I want. Um, and I ended up taking, I think, seven or eight classes with this professor. And she's been a guest on the podcast, uh, Dr. Sharon Kogan. Uh, she's retired now. Um, but um, it lit my fire for religious studies. Uh, so then I, uh, when I graduated, I went to the University of Denver, uh, did uh, the religious studies program there. 
um, kind of balanced in East and West and in uh, philosophy of religion, religion and media. Uh, I went to Nepal a few times, um, one as a, a student in a uh, service learning program. So I did volunteer work in the mornings, and then in the afternoons, we would have guest speakers and go to the cultural sites. Uh, and then in uh, 2003, the university hired me to be the site director uh, for that. Um, and then uh, I ended up in California um, and uh, eventually discovered the California Institute of Integral Studies, which is a non-traditional school, fully accredited, um, but it is an exceptional program. It's an exceptional school, an exceptional program um, that is not your ordinary college. Um, you know, one of the founders of the program I am in is uh, Rick Tarnas. Uh, who wrote probably one of the most beautiful history of philosophy books that I've ever read, The Passion of the Western Mind. Uh, but then he's mostly known for now his book, Cosmos and Psyche, where he tried to present the case for astrology. Um, and so you have a lot of students there who are uh, really focusing on um, archetypal astrology. Uh, and uh, you have... Uh, the person I worked with um, is in uh, religion and spirituality uh, and uh, ecology. And uh, uh, Brian Swim, he's a, a cosmologist who worked with Thomas Berry, uh, is there. And it's just a unique program. And that's, I think, what I needed was a unique program. Um, so uh, that's kind of how, I guess, I got interested in it. It's just been this ongoing passion and hunger to know more and more and more. Um, and I started teaching about 18 years ago. Um, I kind of fell into it and uh, I love teaching, although I would kind of like to get out, uh, move to different kinds of teaching, I think, um, that would be a little bit more interesting to me and others. That is so amazing. Um, you know, you remind me of the fact that when we we do have a great teacher. That teacher has the opportunity to really affect the rest of your life. I mean, mm -hmm. I can remember one of my high school history teachers. Um, he went to the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, Italy, and brought all of his Renaissance painting photos into the classroom. And that's what we learned the whole semester, you know. And, yeah. and you just get, I always thought, oh my gosh, I want to go there. And yeah. our other yeah. history teacher would wear her sari that she brought back from India. And so, you know, I wanted to go to India. I finally got to go there and I went to Nepal briefly as well. And I think that's one of the things um, that we have in common is this love of travel and this love of culture. Yeah. So as you were understanding that Christianity perhaps wasn't the end all be all for you, and you went on this journey of mm -hmm. learning these world religions, is there any one that you've settled in on or any certain philosophy that you think you... <laughs> Yeah, because I'm uh, so similar yeah. to you. I mean, there's just so much right. to love in so many different right. cultures, you know. Yeah, I was just yeah. curious if you're ever able to settle on uh, one or two. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you added the or two there, um, <laughs> or three, or you know. yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of it. I think that, and I don't think that I'm alone in this. Is that we're seeing right now this sort of mass movement out of Christianity. Um, and the, the largest, the fastest growing uh, demographic in the United States, at least, is uh, are people that identify as spiritual but not religious. 
And we have a tendency to pull from various traditions and whatnot. Um, And I put myself in that category. So the traditions that I think speak to me the best are Buddhism. Um, And, you know, I was, it was when I was in Nepal the first time in 2001, you know, there's a, um, uh, Buddhist stupa there. Uh, I'm sure you went to his Bodhnot, and it's one of the largest stupas in South Asia. And it's remarkable. It takes what, about 10 minutes to walk around uh, the entire stupa. And then, you know, surrounding the stupa are little shops, but there are also, um, I guess, worship rooms or monasteries there. There's a huge Tibetan population um, because uh, the Tibetans that kind of kind of flee Tibet um, and are heading to India Kathmandu is like their first stop. So you have this large Tibetan Buddhist uh, population there. And I remember, and there's always, you know, just throngs of people around Bodhnath. And I remember stepping into this monastery, I guess. Um, There was a monk in the doorway and he just kind of motioned me in. And I went in and I don't know how this happened. I was the only person there. And there was this ginormous Buddha, uh, probably 10, 15 feet, big golden Buddha. And I remember standing there and I thought, well, you know, four noble truths, Dukkha, they're suffering. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, And I kind of went through, you know, the sort of the core ideas and I kept saying, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I, yeah, I get it. And then later that evening, while the group I was with were out to dinner, a uh, one of the other students who's a friend of mine, she just announced, well, Nick and I are Buddhists now. And I thought, no, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so so the, t- the teachings of Buddhism um, have been very, very influential. Um, but also I would say some of the pagan traditions as well. Uh, when I was in Colorado Springs, I was introduced to Wicca. Um, I don't identify as Wiccan, and I never at that time identified as Wiccan, but I liked the ritual involved, and I liked the connection to the natural world and following the cycles of the moon and the cycles of the season, and that's something that I still do. So I combine the two of those with little bits here and there. Um, There's a lot out of uh, the Indian religious traditions that I really like. There are things yeah. out of Taoism that I really like. Yeah. Um, and there are some things out of the Abrahamic traditions that I like as well. Um, I think the teachings of Jesus are phenomenal. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, I don't particularly care for Christianity, but I have no problem with Christians. <laughs> you know, it's the organization um, and a lot of the dogmas, um, because I think that often they get removed from the core teachings. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and I love Gnostic Christianity. Um, and uh, I like a lot of the esoteric um, aspects of the traditions, like uh, Jewish Kabbalah. Um, I've studied that a bit. And some of the other Western esoteric uh, traditions that do seem to be rooted in uh, more mystical strands of Christianity and uh, also uh, Judaism. Yeah, you and I have so much in common. Um, <laughs> I can't even begin to spend. And we've lived in a lot of the same places. You brought up yeah. Colorado Springs a while ago. Mm-hmm. I went to junior high there um, okay. at Air Academy Junior High, right near mm-hmm. 
the Black Forest, and that area right. has been known as being one of the largest Wiccan populations yeah. in the country, or maybe even the world. And so I also was introduced to that as a very young age, and then yeah. went to Southern California. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, had a lot of peace, love, and harmony mm -hmm. between all shapes, yeah. sizes, and colors yeah. there. Just yeah. wonderful community. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. I think the I think you mentioned a lot of really good points that they've done studies that show that collectively people are getting very skeptical of institutions of any kind, whether they're yeah. religious or otherwise or governmental um, mm -hmm. and are massively turning to this spirituality movement, which 20 yeah. years ago was just simply not what it is today. Right. So do you find that the students that you've had over the years that you've been teaching, are they also um, seeking in this way when they take your class or are they just trying to get a grade? <laughs> or both? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I have some students that are very uh, interested in exploring uh, religions for their own spiritual journeys, right? Um, I have a lot of them. I have a lot of Catholic students and some of them are still very deeply Catholic, um, but they also want to understand their tradition better, you know, and I hear that a lot. They will say, you know, I want to hear what someone who's not in the church has to say, you know, someone who's not a priest, you know, you know, what is, what is this, the history? What do scholars have to say about all these things? Um, now I have some that are just firmly embedded in a worldview and are very resistant to the scholarship. Um, and that's always tricky. That's always very tricky um, uh, to teach to them. Um, but I would say more often than not, within the past couple of years, I am seeing more students say that they identify as spiritual but not religious. Um, and, you know, it's just tricky. I don't know how much of an emphasis we place on this in our lives. I mean, it's, it's weird because religion is such a major feature of the American experiment in some ways. Um, but it often seems like there's a public face to it, but then there's a private face to it. And the private face to it is the spiritual aspect. And it seems like that's the part that's hidden. You know, maybe it is because it's personal and private, but um, it seems like we have to have more of a conversation. And I would also suggest that actually knowing the history of spirituality and religion in this country would be really helpful. And I think it would be very surprising to a lot of people. Um, you know, we have this story, for example, that this was begun as a Christian country, and that's not true. We actually have records at before the, right before the revolution, it was only like 17% of people actually identified uh, with a church. And that number was fairly consistent until after, uh, till right before the Civil War. Um, Americans were also very interested in alternative spiritualities. Um, I recently had a guest on, um, Ronnie Pontiac, who wrote a book on this. Um, and it's phenomenal because he teased out this hidden esoteric um, 
tradition within the American religious experience. And I think that's vitally important because I think it helps people like you and me and, you know, hopefully your audience and my audience not feel so alone. Right. Absolutely. You bring up another great point though, about um, any, any religion. I think anybody who goes to any kind of a, you know, organization to learn, or they're they're usually just doing the practice or they're saying, Mm -hmm. okay, do this, or we're going to read this chapter, but there's not as much discussion in any of those venues about getting underneath that as you can do in a class to understand the history of things. And I think it is important to look at the history and, and as you've said, where we've evolved and the the stories that get written versus the ones that didn't get written, these things are now coming to light because we do have um, you know, sometimes I've cursed technology, I'm not going to lie, you know, <laughs> but um, we can also say this has been an eye opener in terms of what we're able to historically understand about what people were actually doing. And yeah. Yeah. whether it's geographically, we're finding new civilizations or whether it's mm-hmm. in writings and teachings. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, which you know more about than I do is this idea that many of the traditions that people have practiced around the world have been through the oral tradition. And so they literally don't exist other than how we might be able to interpret bits and pieces that have been passed down. And so I think that's where some of it probably comes in as well as some of the spiritual movements are Mm. putting their spin on what they think the ancients did. Maybe it's not exactly the same, but they're attempting to embody some of those things. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think that uh, you're right that many of the traditions began as an oral tradition, right? That nothing was put into writing. So, for example, in India, the uh, Vedas, um, that was an oral tradition for thousands of years. And in fact, the very act of putting it to writing was seen as being a polluting kind of activity. Um, And in early Christianity, you have this period of time, it's about a 40-year period after the death of Jesus, before we get the first gospel, and the earliest gospel is Mark, and Mark was written in about 70 of the common era, um, again, you know, about 40 years after the death of Jesus. In that 40-year period, what you have is an oral tradition, and you have different communities who are talking about Jesus, sharing stories about Jesus, but, and they're also trying to figure out the meaning of the teachings, but they're often very isolated. So you get different ideas. And that's one of the core things that I tell students is that, you know, early Christianity was incredibly diverse, you know, and we can't even call it Christianity at that point, you know, this is a Jesus movement. And you have all of these different ideas of who Jesus was, what Jesus was, what part of the teachings were most important and what ones weren't, you know, what should we emphasize? And ultimately what happened is, and it's through a process, and it took hundreds of years for this to happen, you know, you started getting gospels being written, but then you had people writing different gospels. You know, there's a lot that is not, that was written that's not in your standard Bible. And the people at that time, they didn't see them as being heretical works. They didn't see them as being out of the norm. They saw them being very much in the norm. And it was a decision 
you know, uh, sometimes through committee meetings, <laughs> uh, but eventually, and I think this is what happened. I think this also probably happened in the Vedas. And my guess is that this is probably something that happens whenever you have an oral tradition being put to writing is that the, whoever is putting it into writing has a very specific point of view. And that's what you're going to see. And in the case of like the Bible, it's not just who's, you know, that someone was sitting down and writing it, you know, from front to back, but they were deciding what is appropriate and what's not. And it's all from a certain point of view, you know, and I think that in oral tradition, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, you know, um, control that certain point of view. It's only when it is made concrete in writing that you can do that. Yeah, you're just bringing so many things to mind. Uh, yeah, the Council of Nicaea, like what mm -hmm. what gets put out, even in a film, if you, right, you know, right. I work as an extra once in a while, okay, fine, maybe I'm in the scene, but then it gets left on the cutting room floor. Nobody's going to see that yeah. one, you know? So yeah. what got left on the cutting room floor versus what gets into something is definitely... Um, unfortunately, I think influenced a lot of times by who's in power and yeah, exactly. maintaining power. Mm -hmm. I wrote a short series about the gnomes of ancient Egypt. And even back then, we don't, you know, in Heliopolis, they had a set of deities mm -hmm. who were the creators. And then in Memphis, they had another set in Hermopolis and Thebes. They had the Theban triad. And so these were different belief systems because it would have been like any administration, even in the modern government saying, okay, um, I'm moving in now. Now I'm going to change the wallpaper and we're repainting this place and we're going to do it yeah. my way, you know? And yeah. I think that this is happening throughout history. Mm -hmm. And so then certain stories then end up rising to the top of the crop. And then that's what everybody gets told. And then we're able to then have this exploration, like the one we're having today, where you just yeah. dig down into all these little places and find out all this amazing stuff. Yeah. that's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's so important about the approach that I take is that it's to put everything into context. You know, if you want to understand any religious text, you need to put it into the context of the place and the time where it was written or put into writing and who did that. And I think that often when people interpret their religious text, they do so without the context. Um, but that context is so vitally important because it helps you understand what those people were writing and to know their lived experience, you know, and for me, that makes the traditions alive rather than reading it, how someone tells me I have to read it. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, Jung earlier yeah. and, um, I had just written a book called The Goddess Discovered. It's going to be coming out in December. And you and I got into that discussion. Yes, yes. Um, in, when I was researching that, I went on quite an epic journey of mm -hmm. diving into archetypes. Because right. when you go through all of the world religions and you dig down into even beyond young, just typical and very basic archetypes of what kinds of deities are people involved with they need right. the tutelary deity to protect the village we need our crops to grow we want love and fertility abundance of the crops in the land and safety and things like that and you start to realize that wait a minute we are so divisive in the world we're so 
thinking that everyone is so different than us, but when you really get down underneath all of these beautiful teachings and the wrapping paper, the gift of what everybody wants is the same, no matter where you are in the world and no matter how far back in history you go, we just simply haven't changed that much. And I really believe we have more in common than what we give ourselves credit for sometimes, you know? Yeah, I, I I do agree that we have a lot in common and you can find commonalities in all the traditions. I mean, and there are differences for sure. Um, you know, I usually resist the claim that all religions teach the same thing. It's like, no, yeah. they don't. Uh, but there are a lot of commonalities to them. Um, and and I think the archetypes are very important in the sense that, you know, we're surrounded by them. You know, not just in religions, but even in popular media, you know, so for example, one of the things I love to do when I, uh, speaking of the goddess, you know, I always talk about the goddesses in, in some of my classes as we go through this historic journey. And one of the archetypes, of course, is the triple goddess. Um, and you see this in, you know, especially in Greece, uh, where you have you know, uh, Persephone, the young maiden, uh, Demeter, the mother, and then you can have Hecate, the crone, right? And that's connected to the cycles of the moon. Uh, it's also connected to uh, just women's embodied experiences throughout their lives. And, you know, it's really rich, but I always ask students, I'm like, well, can you give me an example? Because if you stop and think about this, you will see this everywhere, and, you know, my examples are, you know, getting kind of old, <laughs> uh, but, um, and, and sometimes there's a fourth aspect to the triple goddess. Um, and that fourth aspect would be the sexual uh, goddess. And give, give us um, your examples. Give us some well, of your examples. I, yeah, I've got a couple of examples. So one is the okay. golden girls. Uh, yes. So you, you've got Rose, you know, uh, our dearly departed Betty White. I guess they're all dearly departed now, but she That's is the adorable. she she is the naive one. So she is the uh, the the maiden, right? You have uh, Dorothy, uh, the B. Arthur character, who's the mother. I know some people are like, well, no, you've got Sophia, who's the mother. No, Sophia is the crone, and the crone is associated with wisdom, and Sophia means wisdom. And then you have Blanche, who is the sexualized one. So you've got these archetypes. Uh, we can go back to the 70s. And I guess they even did a reboot in movies in the 90s or so, Charlie's Angels. Yes. Right? You've got the three women. Um, Sex in the City. Uh, you had the four women all match those archetypes. You know, they're always there. And so I think that once you start recognizing the archetypes, in, not just in the religious traditions, but how they manifest in our public lives, you can then also start seeing how they manifest in your own life, like in your dreams. And, um, and, and you can start working with those energies as well. That's the pagan side of me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it is so interesting. And I think that gets back to your Joseph Campbell um, yeah, yeah. In, information as well, because we don't have to even beyond labeling the golden girls, um, there's right. something that's speaking to us mm -hmm. universally, subconsciously, yeah. archetypally, yeah. um, that doesn't even need to be spoken, but it's, it's that, it's that common understanding that all people yeah. have mm -hmm. about the reality of these different phases of our lives that are being manifested in, into our lives in different ways. 
and that makes the storytelling in some of these shows Mm -hmm. reflect myths of old and speak Mm -hmm. to us in a way that I guess turns it into a popular show. I mean, you know, which shows made it and which ones didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Not just Star Wars, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, Star Wars is a, you know, a really good example because George Lucas did write that with Campbell's hero with a thousand faces in mind. And, you know, I always like to ask students, um, the very first day of class, it's always this question of, well, what is religion? And I have a thought experiment that I like to uh, lead them through because I really try to get my students to think about religion in ways where it's not just about belief. And I, from a religious studies perspective, you also want to be able to observe things. So I have this thought experiment where I take us to an alien planet and our job is to report on their religions. I'm like, what are you going to observe? Right. Um, And then I'll fill up the whiteboard, you know, with everything. And then I go through, I'm like, okay, well, what makes this religious? What makes this religious? What makes this religious? Right. And so I can then get into this conversation. And I always start with the etymology of the word, which means to rebind or to reconnect. And then that leads to the question, well, to rebind or reconnect with what? And some people will say with God or the goddess, um, uh, the sacred. Um, I usually try to focus on the sacred because that's a little bit more encompassing. I'm like, what is that? And I usually end up, there's a theologian, Rudolf Otto, uh, who describes this experience as the um, uh, mysterium tremendum a fascinans. It is what is mysterious and the tremendum isn't like large. You know, I know there's this, like when I first heard it, I thought, Oh, tremendous. Right. It, it's actually fear because the sacred is so absolutely other, you know, we see this in the Hebrew Bible a lot, you know, the fear of God. So it's mysterious. There's this fearful aspect, but it's fascinating. And one of the reasons that it's so fascinating is there's this sense of awe. So I asked students, when did you last feel a sense of awe? And overwhelmingly, they will say when they were in nature. And I get that. I get that totally. Occasionally, I'll have someone who will say, oh, well, I had this sense of awe when I saw the last uh, Avengers movie. And my initial response was always, no, you didn't. I'm talking, you know, chin on the floor sense of awe. But then... I remember nine-year-old Nick seeing Star Wars, the original Star Wars on the big screen for the very first time. There was awe involved in that. Yes. <laughs> There's definitely a sense of awe. So I don't want to discount, you know, personally, I don't think the Avengers have a sense of awe, but, you know, I'm not going to reject a student who says that. Um, uh, but I think that's what is the core at the traditions or from my point of view, probably ought to be is this reconnecting to awe. I think so. And I think um, I get nature is, is really a perfect example because we do understand now that because of all these computers and everything that we need to get out of our houses and out mm-hmm. into the trees and the forests yeah. back into nature. And so that can be very awe-inspiring. I think it's interesting Um when you talk about somebody loving the Avengers and finding this very off-fulfilling, um, you know, we do get greatly influenced by the content that mm-hmm. 
we are being shown. I'm mm -hmm. always talking to people about past lives and how I feel like we can connect with places that we've been before, but because we're not all, not everybody is like the two of us. They don't just throw their stuff in a suitcase and go run <laughs> off for a few months. So, you know, people can really connect with those energies through programming. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like you said, the first time you see Star Wars, you're going, whoa, I mean, it's a lot different than Captain Kirk and Leonard mm -hmm. Nimoy, which is what I always loved. You know, that that's mm -hmm. very kind of, it's on the little screen. You see, you're in the movie theater going, wow, there's Luke Skywalker mm -hmm. blasting through the cosmos. It opens up your mind to different possibilities. And I, I do mm -hmm. think there's something to that when people are able to see so many incredible documentaries mm -hmm. about places around the world and the things we're learning. I, I think that does certainly stimulate some awe that perhaps would hopefully encourage people to go out and look and go yeah. down the rabbit hole more in, in yeah. understanding and exploration with that. Yeah. Well, I would connect travel to a sense of pilgrimage and pilgrimage is also a, I don't know if I want to say it's a form of the hero's journey, kind of, uh, there are very, there are a lot of similarities it to it. You know, it's transformative. You know, and pilgrimage used to be that you would go someplace that was sacred and holy, you know, and that sense of awe when you go to that place is what transforms you. And when you come home, you're a different person. And so I always feel that if you go on a journey and you don't come back transformed somehow, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was into this. Yes, let's run around and hit all the holy sites. Um, mm. As I've gotten older, and as I've seen a lot of places, I'm so grateful that I have. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think it's a spiritual calling. Like I just say, oh, I need to go to Peru next yeah. week or something. And mm. I just would get up and go. That's just not normal. I get it. Right. But as I've gotten older, I understand though, you know, this weekend, I just went out of town just a couple of mm. hours from here. Mm -hmm. And I met all these people and it was just such an interesting experience that every journey, no matter how far away it is, if we take time to engage, like you're, you're talking yeah. about, yeah. we get to know people, we may be open to different ways of seeing the world. We still can come back reformed or not reformed, maybe reformed, yeah. I guess yeah. if we need it, but yeah. transformed in a yeah. different way, no matter where yeah. we're taking that journey, you know? Yeah. 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 And I would recommend that people get off the beaten path. You know, um, I, because I, I still drive back to Colorado, um, every now and then, and, you know, there are some very direct routes that I can take on the freeways. I never, ever travel on the freeways except for little bits. I'm always in the back roads. So it takes me, you know, it's a, what an 18 hour drive from where I am in Southern California to Denver. It takes me usually a good three days. Um, and I never want to come home when I'm out there. I'm just like, I just want to stay out here and, <laughs> you know, Diné territory and, you know, or Southern New Mexico or something like that. Um, because it's, you can experience, like you said, you can, you actually get more of an experience and it's more, uh, more immersive, you know, and, um, it's so much richer, I think, than just thinking of traveling as going from point A to point B. I completely agree. That's so funny you mentioned that because I was going this past weekend with some friends and I normally would just get on the highway, just get out there. And we were just tootling through these small towns. There's always these little towns in Texas. They all have a little, you know, a little courthouse and a little center square. We were just out in the middle of nowhere, taking our sweet time getting to this place. And it is, it's so interesting. 
it, it's a place you've been to before. It causes you to remember memories of the past and reflect on yeah. those, or you just find new things. You find new yeah. things in this life around every single corner or how, yeah. how things changed and evolved, because that's yeah. the one thing that we're promised in this world is change. So it's just yeah. always yeah. such an exciting adventure. Yeah. And then you return home and yeah. hopefully refreshed, but ready for the next time. Yeah. yeah. Well, change is the only constant. That is it. That is what yeah. we've been promised. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we talked a little bit also about your wonderful podcast. I'm going to have the link to the podcast below oh. and some of the things that you explore um, mm-hmm. in the podcast. I We talked also off air, friends, but mm-hmm. about, you know, gems and minerals. And mm-hmm. I've always been a big fan of the idea that there's there's life in every thing on this earth. The gems and minerals right. have a life force with them. And I know you have... Um, similar beliefs and some of the things that you're exploring. So tell us more about your wonderful podcast and I will have the links below friends. Sure. So the podcast, uh, I've been doing this for about a year and a half, almost two years, I suppose. Um, And as you said, in the intro, I explore issues of spirituality, uh, consciousness, and with consciousness, I would also put uh, psychedelics in there um, and uh, esoteric traditions and humanity's sacred relationship with the living earth. So I mostly speak with authors uh, about their books. Um, and uh, although I've had a few uh, uh, who haven't written books, and that's always interesting as well. Um, I don't do too much in terms of what is considered paranormal, although I have started um, exploring some of that. I necessarily, I would not necessarily include reincarnation as paranormal, Mm. although I know some do, Um, but uh, that's been an abiding interest of mine. Uh, And I think you were the second guest that I've had on that really um, had written about uh, past lives, Um, maybe the third, Um, but the first one, we didn't really uh, talk about that too much, although I know that he had written about it. Um, That was... um, uh, Chris Bache, who's a uh, retired professor of religious studies uh, from mm. um, uh, Youngstown uh, State University in Ohio. Um, so yeah, so I try to be more in conversation with people about their works. Um, and I, you know, I don't really have a lot of questions that I ask. I have some that I'll have written down, but mostly I just try to talk to someone um, and have, have that kind of conversation and see where the conversation goes. I do try to focus it on the book um, if they have a book. Um, But uh, yeah, I've uh, had a lot of really interesting conversations. I've had some uh, really amazing guests. Uh, I've got uh, some good ones coming up um, uh, that I'm really looking forward to and some conversations that I've got scheduled. Uh, Hopefully they will (laughs) go through. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I see it as a, um, it's a creative outlet for me in many ways where I get to explore topics that I can't really talk about too much in the classroom, Um, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to uh, things like psychedelics, although it's opening up a little bit um, in that regards, uh, students definitely have an interest in those sorts of things. Um, and it, because it comes up in religious studies all the time, uh, you know, humans have been altering their consciousness from day one, um, I think. And, um, 
you know, I'm not going to pretend that that hasn't happened and doesn't still happen. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's a broad enough kind of mission statement <laughs> of topics yeah. that I look at. Um, but that also is narrow in some way, it gives me a lot of freedom to have a lot of different kinds of conversations. And I hope that I can draw upon this massive amount of education that I have and have intelligent conversations with people. Um, I think it's a, a fantastic show. I, I, I enjoy the podcast for the same reasons. I mean, just getting to talk to people and having yeah. interesting conversations. Yeah, I, I think yeah. your show is great. So, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I have a lot of fun with it. That's got to be what that, we have to have fun. I mean, in yes. this life, you know, that's got to yeah. be part of it as things are yeah. changing, have some fun yeah. along the way. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Circling yeah. around now to the beginning when we we're talking about this shift from people being involved with organized religion and now mm -hmm. spirituality. Mm -hmm. I am kind of fascinated with wanting to know why does that happen? Why is this shift of consciousness happening? And some would say, well, mm. it's been pre-written, it's, it's destiny, you know, and things mm. like that. But I've always wondered if, and I'm just going to run this by you, that, that this comes from a couple of different places, perhaps our past lives, because mm. some of the new, these, these new religions that are actually ancient teachings could be something that we have actually practiced ourselves at a mm -hmm. soul level in a past life. But then mm -hmm. the other piece coming from the more um, prevalent study of epigenetics and the fact that we know that we are actually embodying the personalities, mm -hmm. even the traumas, the, the gifts and talents of our ancestors. And so perhaps this ancestral awakening to the goddess, to religious studies, to other ways of thinking and doing things, mm -hmm. to the different plants and medicinal mm -hmm. things and the mother earth herself mm -hmm. could that be coming as some kind of call from the ancestors and so i was just wondering mm -hmm. you know what you think about that i'm saying it may be both yeah, yeah, yeah. but i was just yeah. wondering what you think yeah uh, i actually want to add a couple other things in there oh, i goody. think okay. yeah so um yeah i was trying to jot down a few things as you were asking the question um i think that uh one Reincarnation can play in this. Um, I had mentioned uh, Chris Beish, uh, who I'd interviewed on my show. And uh, again, he was a uh, professor of religious studies at Youngstown State University. And he wrote a book on reincarnation. And he really took it as just a fact. Uh, and he was kind of coming out of the work of like Ian Stevenson. Yes. Uh, and he's like, yeah, this is, he's like, I'm just going to assume that this is true uh, because he found the evidence convincing and I find the evidence convincing. So his book on reincarnation lifestyles is uh, kind of a philosophy of, of uh, reincarnation. It's a really good book, but then, uh, unbeknownst to people, um, especially his colleagues, the entire time that he was a professor uh, at a major university, he was engaged in this secret activity where he took over 70 high-dose LSD. He had over 70 high-dose LSD sessions. 
his wife at the time was a therapist. So this was all in the safety of his home. And he had someone there who was a trained professional. Uh, and he uh, wrote some other books and his other books were informed by this experience, but he was never able to say, yes, this is what happened until he retired. Wow. And so when he retired, uh, he did write a book about this. Um, and now the title is uh, running from my mind. It's a LSD and the, uh, um, I should have written this one down. Um, all apologies to Chris. But anyway, in the book, um, he actually says that in a sense, what he came out of, what came to him in these experiences was this message that we all chose to incarnate at this time. And that humanity is, we are in a transformational period. And there is going to be a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, much gnashing of teeth. Uh, but we're going to come out, um, LSD in the mind of the universe. That's the name of the book. <laughs> um, come out the other end, totally transformed. And I think that that sounds right to me in many yeah. ways. And uh, so I think that reincarnation can play a part in that. Uh, in terms of the ancestors, I think that that is also true. Um, I always say that I am doing ancestral work because my ancestors have a lot to account for, uh, especially in the history of this nation. Um, and I think the systems that we have inherited, you know, and I think that's part of the problem is that often you know, we are born into a culture and a dominant culture. And it's like, we see the things that are wrong with it, but yet I think so many of us feel trapped. And from a perspective, you know, we inherit this from our ancestors, but our job is not just to carry it forward, but to fix what needs fixing and create something new. And so I think that's at play as well. I would also argue that there is something spiritual um, that's happening. And um, I, I want to put this with spirit, but also the earth. And, you know, we talked about things being alive um, and everything having a spirit. You know, I think that um, there is out of the Amazonian rainforest, uh, we are seeing um, uh, the very potent uh, psychedelic ayahuasca. And what's fascinating with that is it is a healing plant medicine. And ayahuasca is this brew, uh, a tea of sorts. It's made out of two primary things. There's a vine and then there are these leaves, and I forget the scientific name of the leaves or anything, but um, the I believe it's the leaves that have the active chemicals dimethyltryptamine, DMT, which is the most mm -hmm. potent psychedelic known to humankind, but it's not orally active. You can eat as many of the leaves as you want, and you're never going to have an experience. In order to have the experience, it has to be brewed with what's known as an MAO inhibitor. Uh, and that inhibits these enzymes in our stomachs that allow it to be mm. orally active. Well, what was interesting is that these plants, as far as I know, and this is in the rainforest where you have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different plant species, they don't necessarily grow next to each other. And so ethnobotanists who were studying this, they asked the shamans, 
Like, well, how did you know? Because to make this brew, if I understand correctly, you have to put them together in a pot with all this water and you cook. It's like a 24 hour process. You boil the water down and then you put more in. And ayahuasca is not the best tasting thing. You know, it's pretty, it's kind of bitter. Um, it's not something that you'd be like, Ooh, I'm craving me some ayahuasca today. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, clearly wasn't being used for food and there's no really record of either of these plants being used for food. So the ethnobotanist asked the shamans, they're like, how did you know? How did you know to take these two plants and go through this huge process? And the shaman's response is, well, the plants told us. And there's a spirit to the medicine. Yes. Uh, there's a, it's mother ayahuasca. Some call it grandmother ayahuasca. There's a spirit. And from what I understand is that the shamans say, you know, it's the spirit of the earth. It's the spirit of Pachamama um, that's involved. And that Pachamama understands that the earth needs healing. Right. And the only way that that's going to happen is with a transformation of consciousness. And so it has been awakened and is now coming out into the world. And I would probably suggest that it's not just ayahuasca, but we're seeing this with other plant medicines. You know, cannabis is now legal in, I think, maybe 50% of states in the United right. States. Um, and I think there's something behind that. Um, and the same, and we're starting to see this with psilocybin mushrooms as well. These all have incredible healing potential and, um, you know, they're natural. natural. Um, and I think that is crucially important. And I am also a big believer in, you know, it's the hermetic axiom of as above, so below, but for me, it's also as within, so without. So talk about what Jung was talking about. I think all of the bad stuff that we see going on in the, in the world, and this is, you know, the, not just wars and everything, but also what's going on in the natural world, that's a reflection of our own inner sickness. And humanity needs to heal. Right. We have a lot of healing to do. And I think these plant medicines are becoming more available and more acceptable. And I don't know, maybe it is Pachamama that's guiding all of this, but I think there might be a spirit that is moving into the world saying, you know, look, you need to heal. You need, you need to heal. Um, the other thing I would say, I'll uh, kind of, uh, this will be the last one. I think focusing on the United States the United States has a history of these periods of spiritual transformation where we have called them the great awakenings. You know, the very first one was associated with the theologian um, uh, Edwards. Uh, uh, um, and um, the uh, I think a lot of people in high school read his um, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, uh, but, you know, that was the very first great awakening. And uh, then uh, early 19th century in the early 1800s, 1820s or so, you had the second great awakening. Um, and there have been these periods of time where they have called these, you know, these great awakenings. Um, I don't know where we are <laughs> now in, in terms of numbers. Uh, I've heard, you know, like the 1960s, early 70s considered one of the awakenings. Um, I would maybe suggest that there was one at the latter part of the 19th century as well. Right. Um, but I think that maybe what's happening is there is another great awakening 
Um, and I think that there's something within the United States, this country, that, you know, my former guest that I had on, Ronnie Pontiac, he kind of explained it as there's something very alchemical in the United States. You know, there's something that's just inherently transformative, you know, and I think that's part of the DNA of this country mm -hmm. is, you know, that sort of reinvention and rebirth. Um, and yeah. I, I see that here. Um, and so I think there's a lot of different things that are informing um, the transformations. I think that the one thing that we just can't deny is that transformation is happening. Yes. Yes. However it's happening, it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that is good. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, we're, it, it's what the Buddha said, you know, the first noble truth is there is suffering. And, you know, yeah. I always read that as, you know, not, I know some people like to say, translate that as, well, everything is suffering. And I don't think that's what the Buddha taught. I think the Buddha taught that everything is touched by suffering. Um, I have an uncle, he's also says, you know, everything's broken. And the way I just always phrase this, I kind of combine those two together. It's like, everyone suffers, everyone's broken, and we all have some healing to do. That is an excellent point and so true. So true. Yeah. yeah. You just don't know what people are going through. Um, right. You don't know right. where they're at. And everyone mm -hmm. has their things that they mm -hmm. are struggling with, no matter where they are or what they're yeah. doing. And we're all yeah. growing and hopefully transforming for the better together. Yeah. And that should be the ground for compassion just recognizing that, that yeah. everyone, everyone suffers in their own way. And we don't know, we don't know how people are suffering, um, but everyone does. No one is free from it. And because of that, you develop your compassion. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, Nick, this has been an incredible conversation. I have so enjoyed speaking with you today. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it as well. It's always a pleasure, Shelley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to, I'll have to have you back onto uh, the Rebel Spirit Radio podcast when the Goddess book comes out. Oh, that sounds great. And I will definitely have you back for more because yeah, we haven't even sure. begun to scratch the surface of yeah. all there is to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, the professor I said that I had that I took like eight classes with, I still have all my notes. Um, I actually have kept all my notes from all my classes and it's, you can't see it on the here, but it's, it's, it's a big stack of notes. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Wow. She must be so happy to know. I mean, just to see all the accomplishment that you've had after taking her yeah. class, that's got to feel good. Yeah. 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 She's, she's wonderful. And I'm so happy that I, uh, maintained contact with her over the years. You know, I, she, she made the mistake. She gave me her phone number. And so every so often I'd give her a call. And, hey, what's going on? <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But it's power. nice. I can consider her a friend now. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. The power of education. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you for your service and education to others. Cause I cannot imagine how much your students must be jumping for joy to have you as their professor. Amazing. Uh -huh some <laughs> they may some. not be jumping for joy now but believe me a few years from now they're gonna go wow uh, yeah. dr mather he was really something you know yeah. maybe maybe i, I, I do my best so. i, I, I so. do my best I, I like to be of service absolutely fantastic so friends there's just so much to explore in this wonderful world and so i want you to check out nick's website and his wonderful um, podcast and we will have him back 
And I will catch you on the next episode of Healing Arts. Hey friends, have you wanted to access the Akashic Records but had no idea how to do that? Well, guess what? My new book, Journeys Through the Akashic Records, will take you step by step through the process so that you can access other realms of consciousness for your own healing and transformation. This book will show you how to open the door to this wellspring of information. Meet with your spirit guides, do present life healing, psychic protection, go out into the field of possibilities to access your higher soul's purpose, meet your guides and helpers, your soul group, and so much more. Again, over 50 guided journeys await you as you access the Akashic Records and receive information that is personal to you for your healing and self-transformation. Check out the book now. Just go over to my website, pastlifelady.com. Click on the book link and order today. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at pastlifelady.com or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.